I share is about evangelism. Isn't that right? Evangelism and soul winning. Now, are you interested in that? <clears throat> I have something practical for the 11 of you who said amen. There's a large gathering of folks. By the way, when I came in this morning, I walked through this great complex and I saw screens and people and it was religious looking and I said, I share. And I walked up to the door and I saw a beautiful image on the screen and it was of the Virgin Mary, a statue of the Virgin Mary, the Madonna. And I said, ooh, I might have to change my sermon. But then they told me, no, go further down, and thank you, Jesus. So everything's okay. Uh, <clears throat> I was a Roman Catholic once. I was raised Catholic, and I thought that someone here had uh, done some very nice thing to try to make me feel welcome, but evidently <laughs> that wasn't the case. Now, what we have, if you believe in practical evangelism, our friends, our good friends at Glow, in case you're interested, have made available 3,000 Glow tracks for you to share kindly and graciously with our brothers and sisters next door. Amen. How about that? Would you like to do that? Amen. I think that's a good idea. So all you need to do is go by the glow booth when we're done. Don't go during the sermon. After the sermon, head to the glow booth and Nelson and his team will be more than happy to um, fix you up with enough glow tracks to be able to share. Now, now keep in mind, uh, lest anyone is fearful, the intent is not so that you can go to those other folks and straighten them out. It's just that the, the glow tracks are a blessing, and you might like to share a blessing with somebody who's open to a blessing today. So <clears throat> if you'd like to participate in that, go and see the glow folks after this. Also, you know, I want to encourage you to go and see the It Is Written folks, just to find out. I was going to bring them out here and show you, but I don't need to do that. I'd like you to see a couple of soul-winning um, resources that we have, our brand new It Is Written Bible Study Guides, which are beautiful and they're well designed and they're really effective. And also our new Great Controversy book. Um, it, it's, just, it's just a nice copy. Uh, and I've, seen some, I've seen some that I've looked at and said, wouldn't want to read that. And they say you can't judge a book by its cover, but it doesn't stop us from doing so. So anyway, it's a nice one. It sits open nicely and the font is good and all of that. So have a look because I'd like you to uh, know about these effective soul-winning resources that are available to you, and Kurt and Luella and our folks at, at, at our booth will see you. And also, man, I'm glad. Some of you heard Greg Wilson last night from SALT. It is written's School of Evangelism. We are excited about SALT. We have a summer program. It's called Somersault. And we had 100 people at Somersault this summer. Isn't that great? And the new SALT class is getting ready to begin so I know we're on the other side of the continent, but if God is calling you to be involved in ministry and ministry training, and if maybe you're going to be on that side of the continent, or, or if you'd like to give up the, the dry, dry, dry weather here for the beautiful, humid weather over there, um, think about SALT. It's a wonderfully effective soul-winning ministry, a training ministry, and uh, God bless those of you who are involved in training wherever it might be, but think about SALT. It's a terrific school, and uh, I am looking forward to seeing you. If you're going to be a SALT student, I'll be there, and I'll be looking for you there. I want to share a conviction with you before we open the Bible, and that is that I am profoundly convinced that Jesus is coming again soon. I believe there has never been a better time to be a Christian. 
I also believe there's never been a better time to be a Seventh-day Adventist than right now because the Lord is getting ready to do wonderful things for and in and through and with His people in these closing minutes of Earth's history. This is the time to be alive and in the theater of battle where the action is, living for and with Jesus and sharing Jesus with the world. You are among the privileged. We all are. For to know Jesus in a time where so many people so need to know Jesus, it's a privilege. We've got what people need. And I hope that that thought might be the basis or a foundation for what I intend to share with you today. Um, more I could tell you, but the point is we are here to open the Bible together. So, so let's do that. Let's pray first, and then we'll, uh, we'll get to opening our Bibles. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that we can come to you today. We come in the name of Jesus. We come just as we are. How else could we come? We come blessed and needy. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. I read where someone you blessed very much wrote that our great need is itself an argument and pleads most eloquently in our behalf. Thank you for seeing our need of your spirit and for supplying that need right now. Speak to us. Fill us with yourself. Own us. Take our will and merge it with your will. Let your will be done in these few moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again. A little west of London in England is the town of Slough, S-L-O-U-G-H, Slough. Now, Slough is a town because in Great Britain you don't become a city unless the king or the queen says so. Town. It's a big town, 150,000 people, but it's a town. And it's, it's, it's just a... Now, I love Great Britain. I lived there for a while. I was baptized in England. I love Great Britain. But I don't know that a whole lot of people love Slough. It's just a town. You're never going to go there, most likely. Unless you go to visit Newbold College, you might go through Slough. Unless you catch the train west from London to go to Windsor Castle, you're probably going to get off at Slough and then travel over to the castle because it's nearby. But other than that, you probably never go there. In fact, between now and the time Jesus comes back, you're likely never even to hear the name of the town mentioned again. It's just one of those towns. But... About six weeks ago in Slough, a rather remarkable man died. Nicholas Winton. In 1938, was planning a skiing vacation in Switzerland. Just a young man at the time. When he died recently, he was 106. 106. You know how you get people who are older and then you get people that you call elderly? Him? Old. That's all. When you're 106, 
There's no euphemism that changes the fact that you're really old. He was 106 and he died. But back in 1938, when he was not 106, but he was rather younger, back in 1938, he was planning to take a skiing vacation towards the end of the year, because of course that's wintertime, in Switzerland. However, he received a communication from a friend of his in Prague, which was the capital of what then was Czechoslovakia. And his friend said, come to Prague, help me. His friend was involved in some kind of humanitarian work assisting the Jews, 1938. And things were very uncomfortable for Jews in Europe. In fact, when Winton got to Prague, Kristallnacht had already taken place. And any of you familiar with Kristallnacht will know there was nothing good about that. So Winton got to Prague and something took hold of him. By the time he was done with his business in Prague, wonderful things had happened. You see, having become aware of the situation, the plight of Jews in Czechoslovakia and the plight of Jewish children in Czechoslovakia, Nicholas Winton looked at that crisis, and it was a crisis. And he realized that he couldn't do nothing. He had to do something. His skiing vacation, gone. His other immediate plans were put on hold. He said, I got to do something. He started an organization. Very difficult times, lots of red tape to work through. He contacted the House of Commons back in Great Britain. By the time he was done, 669 Jewish children had been evacuated from Czechoslovakia, transported to Great Britain, where they escaped the Nazi regime, all of them lived when otherwise, if not for Nicholas Winton, all of them would most certainly have died because it was Hitler's aim to purge Czechoslovakia of anything that looked remotely Jewish. Their families all perished in what now we call the Holocaust. All of them dead, but 669 of them lived. Because one man, one unlikely man, intervened and he jumped through hoops and he cut through red tape and he pled with government officials and he gave of himself because to do otherwise would have been unthinkable. I'd like you to open your Bible with me and we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 20. We're going to switch gears a little bit, but it will all make sense in a moment. Second Kings chapter 20, and we might as well start right about in the beginning of that chapter. Second Kings chapter 20, why don't we begin in verse 1. The Bible says, in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death. In other words, he was terminally ill. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live what would it be like to be told that you are going to die not just that you're really sick but that death is a certainty hezekiah received that news what would you do the bible says he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the lord saying I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. I've done that which is good in thy sight. Hezekiah wept sore. Who can blame him? 
It came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, Isaiah, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you will go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days how many years? Fifteen years. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And so then, interestingly, they used a natural remedy. He had a wound on his leg. They applied a lump of figs. Certainly, there was efficacy in that natural remedy, undoubtedly. But the natural remedy was only a vehicle through which God worked. God healed this man. By the way, God still heals people with natural remedies today. Somebody better say amen. amen. Isaiah said, no, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And that I will go up to the house of the Lord the third day. Isaiah said, this sign you will have. The Lord will do the thing that he's spoken. Shall the sh and then anyway, he said, you want the sun to go down or back? He said, man, down is easy. Let it go back. And so the sign went back. Hezekiah was healed. That was a miracle. God made the sun go backwards in the sky. That was a miracle too. God gave this man 15 more years. 15 more miraculous years. A blessing. Really? Well, blessings can be what you make them. And Hezekiah didn't make the best of this blessing. What happened was this. A man named Beredak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, heard what had happened to Hezekiah. And he said, I would like to visit you. And Hezekiah said, come on over. That was the neighborly thing to do. And when he came over, the king of God's people showed the king of Babylon all of his wealth, opened up the treasure house. He said, look at this. See how God has prospered me. Well, you want to be careful who you let see into your treasure house. Hezekiah made a mistake that day. It was a foolish thing that he did. Before long, as a result of this man's pride, as a result of this man's desire to lift himself up, as a result of his lack of surrender to God, if he'd listened to God, God would have said, don't do that. But he wasn't interested in listening to God. As a result of that, Jerusalem was destroyed, completely destroyed. People were killed, blood flowed, devastation came. Because Hezekiah took the 15 years that God gave him and used them unwisely. You might say, however, that the worst was still to come. The last verse of 2 Kings chapter 20 is verse 21. And it says, Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh his son reigned in his stead. Manasseh was arguably the worst king that God's people had ever endured. Manasseh pulled Israel down into deeper darkness, into deep, deep, deep depravity. This man did things that even if we knew about them, we wouldn't want to talk about them openly. This man was 12 years old when he became the king. 
which means that he was born three years into his father's probationary time. Honestly, my friends, it would have been better if Hezekiah had died. It just would have been. He got 15 years and wasted them. Up until that time, if you read the Bible account, not a bad guy, really. But his legacy is a legacy of wasted time, foolish decisions, squandered opportunities. That's his legacy. Now, it isn't easy to think about this, particularly if you are younger. And it isn't always profitable to dwell on this. But the fact of the matter is that one day, if Jesus doesn't come back first, we are all going to die. And all of us will leave a legacy. Now, I don't like to use this illustration because I've heard it used before, and frankly, it's just a little bit corny, but I'll use it anyway. Now, when I go home to my home country of New Zealand, the very first place I go is the cemetery. That's where my dad lives. Well, I don't live, but that's where my dad is. And it's not that I go there and talk to my dad. I'm not trying to pretend that he's really able to hear me or anything like that. I know he's sleeping there in his grave. But I go there to remember, and I go there to honor my dad. And when I look down, I see his name, John Leslie Bradshaw. That's his name, right? It was his name right there on the little grave marker. And then there's the year of his birth, and then there's the year of his death. And between those two, there's a dash. And in one dash, that's my father's life summed up right there, is the gap between his birth year and his death year. That's his legacy, if you like, an expression of it. And I stop off and I wonder about the legacy that my father has left. For he's not remembered now by but just a few people. His family, some of his grandchildren, none of his great-grandchildren, many of his friends have gone. Really, when my father was alive, he was known by this many people. But now, this many years after his death, he's remembered by this many people. What does his life add up to now? Not much we can do about that, but should Jesus not come back? That question will be asked about you and me. What will our lives have been worth in eternity. Now, the wonderful thing about it is those of us who are still living, particularly those of us who are still young, those of us who, somebody say amen, those of us who are still young, still have the opportunity to influence what sort of legacy we're going to leave. And it's a very important question. Just last weekend, I had the great privilege of speaking at the funeral of a dear saint who died at the age of 92. A dear friend of mine, she was a member of a church where I had been one of the pastors at one stage. And when I heard that she had died, naturally my heart ached. My heart ached for my dear friend, her 92-year-old husband. But on the other hand, I smiled. For I know that I'm going to see Virginia again. Undoubtedly, as far as I can possibly tell, she will come up in the first resurrection. For her life was a life lived to the glory of God. Now, while I was her pastor, I did not know this. But once she died, her husband explained this to me. She, he said, in 1950, not long after they had married, his wife, Virginia, had heart surgery. In 1950, she had a heart condition that was going to kill her. She couldn't give birth to children they adopted because having kids likely would have been more than her body could take. So she had heart surgery in 1950, without which she would have died. 
So, surgery in 1950, died in 2015, that's 65 years of bonus time. And at the funeral, I got to hear all about how she spent that time. She went to college, and she got a good education, and she became an elementary school teacher, or an academy teacher, one or the other, and she taught at an academy not far from where we are right now, and she taught at a couple of other academies, and then she taught at a college, uh, a church-run, now it's a university, then it was a mere college, you know, and she influenced young people and young adults in a beautiful Christian way for decades and decades. See, God gave her a life. And she said to herself, what am I going to do with this life God has given me? She poured herself into raising her children for God's glory. Then she poured herself into influencing young people and young adults to live a life of service for God. And wherever she went, she shared. She shed abroad the love of Christ and a beautiful influence that told for the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, God gives you the gift of life. The fact that you woke up this morning was God saying to you, here's a canvas and it's blank. You get to paint the picture. You get to make the decisions. You choose what your life is going to be like today. You choose, barring the unforeseen, what direction your life is going to take over the next few decades. You choose. And so we make these choices. But sometimes they're choices that are influenced, hampered, hindered by confusion. Somebody told us that our happiness is what's paramount in this world. That's not true. Somebody told us that our prosperity, our comfort, is what matters in this world. That's not true, too. God has given us life so we can live that life for His glory. That's the purpose. We've got eternity to enjoy comfort. Now, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable here on this earth. Nothing wrong with that at all. If you understand what comfort is for... Jesus certainly did not put his comfort first. John the Baptist did not think of his comfort. Jesus said, what did you come out here to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Oh no, he said, those who wear soft clothing live in king's palaces. John the Baptist knew why he was here, and he wasn't here for him. See, if you are planning on going to medical school and becoming an orthopedic surgeon, that's great. God can use you. If you've got your student loans paid off and then you think that your purpose is to live in a mansion and drive a late model BMW and add to your stable of cars by adding a Mercedes here and a Bentley there, well, that's fine too if that's God's will. And it may be for you, but if that's all life is for you, that's not fine. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a world full of people who need to meet Jesus. If we were to talk about crises today, and we could, we could talk about the homeless crisis. It's a crisis. And if society sits on its hands while people continue to live in the streets without having life's basic necessities met, that's a tragedy. We can't allow that to happen as a society. We just cannot.
There's a crisis in this world, a poverty crisis. So many people, it seems, get stuck, stuck in a cycle of poverty through various reasons and because of various circumstances. And if, if somebody can impact that cycle of poverty to help somebody up, to help somebody break the cycle, to lift up out of there and live a productive life to the glory of God, then, then we've got to do something about this poverty crisis. We must. There's a crisis in the Middle East as terrorist groups go mad in Nigeria, a terrorist group running amok. There's a crisis. Somebody must do something. But friend of God, there is a much greater crisis taking place today. There is a crisis as there is a world needing to know Jesus. There's a crisis of lostness. One day, the saved will be inside the new Jerusalem. On that day, the lost will be outside the new Jerusalem. All of them. And there will be a massive number of lost people. Many of them would instead have been saved people if some of those folks on the inside had cared more and done more and thought less about themselves and more about others. There's somebody living on your street right now, most likely, who would go to heaven if somebody would show her or show him the way. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you going to do about the crisis in our midst of people of all walks of life, rich and poor, black and white, Hispanic and Native American, every other race besides, young and old, educated and uneducated, heading for hell instead of heading for heaven. You know what? There's these guys, they're entertainers in Las Vegas. I believe they're magicians. Their name is uh, uh, Penn and Teller. That's the name of their act. Now, I don't know either of them. I've never seen them. I've never met them. But one of them is a, na- a man named Penn Gillette. He's the big one with the long ponytail. He said this. He described how one day he had finished his show in Las Vegas and he, he would come outside the theater and shake people's hands and sign autographs and do all of that. He noticed a man over here loitering. Hmm, he wondered, hmm, what does that man want? He was holding something. Didn't look dangerous. The man wanted to be last. So when everybody else was gone, this man came up to Penn Gillette and he said, I've got something for you. And he gave him a Bible. Now this man, Penn Gillette, is an atheist and is like the, the atheist evangelist. He's, he's strident in his atheism. He talks about how there is no God. He's one of the most prominent atheists in the United States. The man gave him, his, gave him a Bible, wrote something in the Bible, gave him a card with phone numbers and cell numbers, all kinds of numbers on it. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. How do you think that atheist felt to have a Christian come to him and give him a Bible? Well, Mr. Gillette said how he felt. He said, I admired that man because he had the courage to stand up for what he believed. He was nice about it. He believed he had something of value and he wanted to share that thing of value with somebody else. He then said this, these are words that trouble me. He said, if you believe that there is a God and that there is a heaven, he then said this, he said, How much do you have to hate people to not proselytize? He said, if you were standing on the street and there was a truck coming and it was heading straight for you and I believed you were going to get killed, 
I would have to tackle you out of the way of that truck. I would have to. He was talking about this in relation to Christians who believe there is a God and believe in salvation and believe Jesus is coming back and believe there's a heaven and believe there's a hot place called hell where people will be obliterated and they believe all this and they sit on their hands and they dine on fancy food and they go to the mall and they plan for their future and they do nothing to save anybody from being lost. Come on now, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot be that person. We read in Revelation chapter 14 that God has given his people a mandate. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a whisper, "Uh uh-uh. Saying with a what? Loud voice. Fear God and give glory to him. Oh, wait, wait, wait. With a loud voice. The angel had the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation and kindred and tongue and people to preach to everyone folks have got to hear and have god what is what's the matter with god's people cat got your tongue mute can't speak come on now we have a message to take to the world and it's a beautiful message of salvation by grace through faith in jesus christ It's a message of liberation and liberty. It's a message of freedom from sin and freedom to spend eternity with God in heaven and then in an earth made new. We don't want to miss out on that. That's why we're here. But folks out there don't know. My father once was in a swimming race. He was a great athlete, my father. And he was swimming across a harbor, across a harbor, the Fitianga Harbor back in New Zealand. And uh, as he was swimming across the harbor, he, he, he was, he was, he was going to win that race. He could have won that race if they tied his hands behind his back. As he was swimming across the harbor, he stopped. He said, I wonder how far in front I am. He stopped and he poked his head up and turned around. And there was a fellow back there submerged, but his hand was above the water, which means he was what? Right. And my father said to himself, awesome. That guy's the next fastest swimmer. And if he's drowning then he can't possibly beat me. And he turned back into the water and he, with a renewed surge of energy, swam to the other side and won the trophy. I never did find out what happened to the guy because he drowned. But my dad had won the race and he was so proud of that moment. And the trophy still sits on on the mantelpiece in the living room of my mother's home. Now I'm hoping you, you, you want to know what really happened. It would have been unthinkable for my father to not go back and rescue Trevor Townend, Townsend, Trevor Townsend. We know his name because my father received a large plaque framed. It's hanging on the wall in my mother's home from the, not the RSPCA, that's animals, isn't it? From the from the Royal Humane Society. My father stopped in that water. He turned around. He saw a hand up and he said, my goodness, someone's drowning. He was a strong swimmer. It helped. He swam back to the man, got him up above the water uh, uh, with his arm around him, did what he could. I don't know if they swam to shore. It was a long way or if he waited there until a boat came, but my dad saved the man's life. Did he win the race? No, he didn't win the race. He didn't care about the race. The race didn't matter to him. 
What mattered him was there was a drowning man and he had to do something about it. Come on, friend. There are drowning people all around us. It's criminal for us to go on swimming while somebody back there with their hand above the water is about to sink into oblivion. It's criminal. We read in the Bible, the Bible story about the ten talents. Or, or the, not, not, well, I guess there were ten, or there was a few, however many talents there were. The talents. Man was given five talents or five pounds, however you like. Someone given two and someone given one. And the man who get, got five gained five more, and that's your ten that I was thinking about. And the one with two put them out to the exchanges and got two back. And the one with one said, oh, no, I, mm, mm, I don't know. And the Lord said, wait, wait, that's a wicked servant. He was given something and didn't put it out to the exchanges to get something back. God has gifted us with pounds or, or mina or talents or however your Bible reads it. What are we doing with those? What are we doing with those? God gave you a talent for music and what? You want to be a professional musician and make money just for you. Okay, okay. But if you're going to do that, you've got to be a musician who shares Jesus wherever she or he goes. You've got to look for ways of saying, Lord, you've given me this ability. Let me use it for your glory. Amen. Same if you're an artist or a builder or a doctor or a lawyer. Whatever God has called you to be, he's called you to be that so that through you, he can be seen. I was on a plane once. I was flying from, from Zambia to South Africa. I sat next to a fellow. He was a coffee farmer. And I, I don't know what I was talking to him about as coffee farm. You know what he said? He said, I only employ Jehovah's Witnesses what he said. Only employ. Well, if you're not a Jehovah's Witness, I won't employ you. I said, are you a Jehovah's Witness? Oh, pff, no, I'd never be a Jehovah's Witness. I said, well, wh wh why do you only employ Jehovah's Witnesses? He said, easy. They're honest. They will never lie. They work hard. They will never slack off. They are morally pure. They won't run around and catch diseases and cause marital breakups and strife in their family. They care about their kids. He said, these are decent people. Imagine that. Now, somebody somewhere has got to be saying, if you, if you employ a Seventh-day Adventist, you will never be let down. God wants you to be the person who convinces someone of that. If you go to medical school, great. I hope you will. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, I, I, could, I could go on about this, but I promise you I won't. I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little worried. I'm asking young people what they're doing with their future. I'm going to be an architect. I'll be a graphic designer. I'll be a computer programmer. That's all right. But where are the full-time ministers? I'm a little worried about that. There better be a few. I believe there are some here today. You're thinking the Lord has given you an ability in this thing so you can go off and make a million dollars. That's all right. That's all right. As long as, as, long as you're doing that as God's handpiece, as God's instrument. But ladies and gentlemen, God is still calling people to make a difference in the local congregation. God is still calling people to, to impact a town for the glory of God. God is still calling people to raise up churches and preach powerful sermons and, and empower others to go and do the same. If God is calling you, you better forget about design school. If God is calling you, you better forget about architecture. If God is calling you, you better forget about auto mechanics. If God is calling you, you will never be happy. You will never be truly content. You will always be somewhat miserable because you will know that in spite of the nice polished car in your nicely paved driveway in, in front of your lovely home and your model wife or trophy husband, there's an emptiness because you never went off and did what God is calling you to do. Come on now, friends, there is a world of people to win. 
And whatever direction your life is going to go in, that's okay. But you've got to have God at the center of that. In the center. So that whatever he calls you to be, you're a nurse, you're God's nurse. Up front. Not only are you working in a hospital, but because you've got all these talents, you're working in the local church as well. You're working in your community. Come on now, let's get together a health program. Let's use these skills for the glory of God. If you're a builder, you're God's builder. God's builder. You know, if you have never been involved in ministry, real ministry, you're missing out so much. When Bill introduced me, he mentioned a little story I told some years ago. Now it was a lot of years ago. So, uh, but I think I can still remember it. Someone spoke to me about spending a summer as a, as a literature evangelist. I said, what in the world is that? They explained it to me. I said, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. No. No. Well, somebody showed me a quote out of a book called Cole Porter Ministry. There is no better training for any line of ministerial work than canvassing. Ah. And they said I could earn some money. Okay. I've got to tell you, terrible salesman. Terrible. But I did okay. I did okay. I wasn't, I wasn't the high achiever and I wasn't the low achiever. I was kind of average, which I think is it's okay to be average sometimes. That was all right. I remember this one day, the whole bunch of us, we're all broke. We decided we'd go out to dinner or lunch. Dinner, I'm sure it was. We went to a Mexican restaurant somewhere near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And there was a bunch of us. There was Danny and there was me and there was a lot of very memorable people who were sitting around that table that day. Some of the best friends I ever had my whole life. And the waitress came by and she said, so what are you guys doing? And the first guy, he said, well, we're coal porters. What's that? Well, we're spending a summer in the city uh, selling Christian books. We're going door to door selling books. Oh, really? That's great. That was the first guy. The second guy said, well, as a matter of fact, he pulled up his bag. We got a whole bunch of them right there. Ah, how about that? And she said, well, that's very interesting. And the third guy, he said, well, as a matter of fact, and he took one of them books and he opened up the great controversy and he started canvassing her on the great controversy. And he said, this is a restaurant. You must be interested in food. We got a cookbook here. He pulled that cookbook out. Ah, look at this. This is really the good stuff. And you have kids? Well, I do. Out came the kids book. Boom, 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 boom. So the first one introduced the concept. The second one pulled out the bag. The third one canvassed. The fourth one, and you know, for a donation of only $29. (laughs) You'd be able to take through, although, would, would it be three or would it be five? How many of these would you be interested in? And as she was there, uh, as she was there mulling it over and she was very interested and she went away and then she came back and she brought a checkbook and I think the last guy did the deal and took the money and gave her change. I said, praise the Lord. It must have been lunch. Maybe it was dinner. Because there we were in that restaurant, but we were involved in ministry, you know? And while we were there sitting, chatting about the day and this and that, guy number one had the presence of mind to share with the lady. Number two, introduced the books. Number three, canvassed the books. Number four, made the clothes. And number five, I don't know what he did, 
and God bought dinner. I said, praise the Lord. That's nothing like ministry. She bought enough books to pay for our meal and then money besides. That's the thing. We looked at each other and we said, this is fantastic that God can use us. Anyone. God can use anyone who is willing. You know something? God spoke through a donkey one day. I could go in a number of directions with that, but I won't. I'll just tell you. He spoke through a donkey one day. My friend, the Bible worker, was in a library. We just came from this evangelistic series in Canada, in Edmonton. And there he was in the library. He's minding his own business in the library, and there's a young guy right there. That's okay. There's a young guy right there, and a young fellow is Sikh. He's Indian. He's an Indian fellow. He's a Sikh. That's his religion. And they start talking. And then my friend, the Bible worker, is thinking, wait a minute here. And he, and, he, and he introduces a spiritual component. And when the man is receptive, he says, well, do you know much about the Bible? No, I don't. Would you like to? Yes, I would. I have these Bible studies here. They started a series of Bible studies. He was eating them up three at a time. By the time the evangelistic series came along, this brother was out front helping on registration. He was fixing to get baptized. His father said, no, you cannot. Oh, man. He wrestled with that. He wrestled with that. He said, I either offend my dad or offend God. Easy decision. He made a decision. He was baptized. Say praise the Lord. His dad sent a gift. I'm proud of you, son. Hallelujah. The Bible worker was ready in the library. Now, you might have seen this Indian kid and said, Oh, he's not interested in Christianity, but not this young Bible worker. He saw the man and he said, this fella is a candidate for heaven. Jesus said, the harvest is great. The problem is that the what? Laborers are few. No, they're not. There's plenty of them. Jesus, right here. Take a look. There's plenty of them. We just got to be willing to say to the Lord, I will go. That's all. We just got to be willing to say to the Lord, use me today. You, you don't want to be scared about that. Well, I can't preach. Don't preach. Do something else. I'm too scared to knock on a door. Well, go with someone who's not, and you just be quiet and pray. I don't know how to give a Bible study. Before you leave today, we can help you with that. You don't have to worry about your ability, just your availability. If you let God use you, God will use you powerfully. Because there's somebody for you to use. Remember, the body is made up of a bunch of different parts. There's room. I mean, the little toe. Who thinks about their little toe? You know, you, they have a Mr. Universe. and Wow, look at that guy. No one's going, that is a great little toe. That guy is winning the little toe. But if it wasn't important, it wouldn't be there. If all you're going to be is the little toe, be the little toe. I'd rather be with it than without it. You understand what I'm saying? The body is made up of many parts. If you are the heart, thank the Lord. If you are the skull, fine. If you are the leg, beautiful. If you're something a little less, I don't know, that's okay too. The body is put together of many parts. We'd be missing something if we were missing anything. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the world conspires against you. I am daring you to be countercultural today. Society puts success and achievement first. Get a great job, buy a great house, drive a great car, get a great big debt. Okay. 
Those things are fine in their place. I'm not against those things and the Bible isn't. But thirst must be service to God. It must be. You know, we had a medical school once that was called the College of Medical Evangelists. Now, I understand, that. don't get me wrong, I understand that, that times change and names change. And I understand, too, that Loma Linda University is extraordinarily mission-oriented. And I say, praise the Lord for that. So that's really what we are. We're into training medical evangelists. We're training into, into training teacher evangelists, pastoral evangelists, mechanic evangelists, uh, hair-cutting evangelists, whatever it is. We have a lady who went through salt, who went through salt. She's a, a beautician, a hair, a hair cutter. What do you call that? I don't know, whatever you call it. She runs a, a beauty salon. She's a beautician, I guess. And since she finished salt, she's had something like three or four or five people baptized. And that's something. You're using these gifts. She's using those gifts for the glory of God. If you can do something spectacular, then do it. If you can't, then do something unspectacular for the glory of God. For when you get to heaven, no one's going to say, Oh, this guy was the head of a university. This poor fellow is just a deacon in the church. We're all going to be equal there, and we're all equal here. In Mark chapter 2, there's a great story where they broke up the roof, right? They broke up the roof. And they lowered that guy down to Jesus' feet. Who was that guy? We don't know. Who were those four people? We don't know. But without those four people, that one man would never have made it to the feet of Jesus. Maybe God is just calling you to carry the corner of a cot. If he is, that's all right. Carry it for the glory of God. There are people everywhere waiting to go to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we're living in the last days of this earth's history. Look around at the world. All of the signs are telling us that we don't have much left. In just a few weeks, the Pope is going to be visiting this country. Now, careful, careful with that. You're not going to hear me getting on the whole, make a whole popathon about this. I'm not going to do that. And we've been saying for years, this Pope, he's the one. You'd think that we were, that we were Pope watchers rather than Jesus watchers, the way some people carry on. Now, it's important. It's important. But first things first. Amen. Amen. But here's what we know. The fact is, he's going to be here. The fact is, he's going to be talking about Sunday. It is central to his agenda. Therefore, the fact is, our prophetic interpretation is as accurate today as it was 150 years ago. We have not had to change our message because the truth doesn't change. What we do need to do is get into our message. These events that are going to take place here in the next few weeks... The world will be watching. It's of great political and religious importance. These events demonstrate we are on the right track. We are headed in the right direction. The world is headed in the wrong direction. But these things tell us no better time to be involved in ministry than now. No better time. No better time to be close to Jesus. No better time to be able to answer questions that people have. No better time. Ladies and gentlemen... This is it. We are nearly there. We are close to seeing Jesus come back in the clouds of heaven. Close. We are heading in the direction that John, who wrote Revelation, saw. We are heading in the direction that Daniel, who wrote the book of Daniel, saw. We are heading in the direction that Ellen White, who wrote a great book called The Great Controversy, saw. 
we are heading in that direction. I remember being seven years old. I grew up playing rugby league, rugby, just call it rugby. I remember playing rugby. Seven years old. Man, I love to play. And I got sick. I remember my mother driving us over to the football ground, or the rugby ground. At, it was Saturday mornings. I, I didn't know better. Saturday morning. I had to sit in the car and watch my team play. Oh, it about killed me. Later on, I was playing rugby in high school. I broke my nose. I had to sit out a, a, a week, just a week. I had to sit out a week because it's kind of hard to play with a broken nose. And it about killed me because I wanted to be out on the field. Uh, a rough game, I guess. I was in high school playing rugby and I, I broke my arm. It's, all this happened just because I'm soft. That's the only reason. And I broke my arm. And I, so I kept on playing for a while because it was only a broken arm. But after a while, the pain just got too much and it had to go off. And then when they put it in a cast, I was out for a couple of weeks. It about killed me. What I learned is it's always much better to be out on the field than it is to be standing on the sideline while other people are getting the job done. Now, friend, God is going to get the job done. If we all decided to pack it in and go to the beach and think nothing more about God or mission or ministry, he'd still get it done. But he'd get it done without us. And we would lose. Now, I could say that God needs you for his work. I could say that. And to an extent, that would be true. To an extent. But the fact is, Jesus said, the rocks can cry out. I found out a long time ago that I was not God's gift to ministry. I discovered long ago that ministry was God's gift to me. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be fulfilled, you need to be involved in ministry, sharing your faith, reaching someone for Christ. Notice today, I have not told you how, I've not told you what you ought to do, but I am telling you that when you chose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you accepted a call to ministry. Jesus, when he was baptized, his ministry began. If you've been baptized, your ministry has begun. What are you doing with it? What? You don't have the training? Get the training. There are booths out here. People can hook you up. You don't want to get the training? You can go another route. Go to college. You don't want to go to college? Do something else. Whatever God calls you to do, call God and tell God, Lord, I am willing today to be used in service for you. I am willing today, ready today, prepared today to be used in service for you. If you just make yourself available, that's what God is looking for. He's looking for hands and feet and heart. Hands and feet. I've been living in Tennessee for too long. He's looking for hands and feet and hearts and minds that he can mold and he can use vessels that he can fill. Hezekiah was given 15 years. His legacy is not a good one. You've been given how long? Let's say it began today. And when Jesus comes back, he will say, you were given five years or 10 years or 20 years. What would your legacy look like? Would it be about you? Or would it be about him? Would there be somebody in the kingdom of heaven who can say, that person helped me. This person reached out to me. 
this person shared with me God and the love of God. Life is too precious to allow someone, anyone, to squander theirs and not have the opportunity to be saved. What we have in this book is of great value. To hide it and not share it would be a crime. The church exists for the purpose of sharing Jesus and reaching others with the everlasting gospel. Now, I know that sometimes our congregations and our members and our leaders, we're all culpable. Sometimes we forget that. We let other things take the focus and gobble up too much of our attention. But when we are brought back to center, we remember that the reason we are here is for soul winning and evangelism and witnessing in many forms. I wonder today if you are allowing God to use you, and if you're not, whether or not you'd like to do something about it. Sir Nicholas Winton, here's what's very interesting about this man. After the 669 children got out of Czechoslovakia, Winton went back to England. He became a member of parliament. Uh, I think he did. And he lived a good life. But for 50 years, nobody knew what he had done to save those kids. Nobody. One day, his wife was ferreting around in the attic of their home, and she found a scrapbook. In that scrapbook were the names of 669 children, the names of their parents, and the names of the families in England who took them in. She said, what is this? He'd never told her. What is this? And he explained. And she knew that the story was too precious for it to be a secret and for the world to not know. So when Nicholas Winton was buried, he had already been Sir Nicholas Winton for some time. He was honored by the British government, by the royal family, by the government of Czechoslovakia. They called him Britain's Schindler. <laughs> he said, I wasn't heroic. I was never in danger. Yes, he was heroic. Because his life was lived for the blessing and the betterment of others. That's how he lived his life. All those people saved. All those lives preserved. Because one man said, I'll do something. I believe God used that man in a powerful way. He said to his friend, I'll come to Prague. I won't go skiing. What if he'd gone skiing? Can you imagine? Seven million, six hundred and sixty-nine Holocaust victims. But he heard the call of his friend, 
and he said, I'll come and help. Did he lose his life as a result? No. I'm sure he went skiing many times subsequently. But he lived a life dedicated to others. For 50 years, known only to himself that he'd saved all those kids. I think he felt good about himself. Not in a prideful way, but that would bring you satisfaction. So what are your plans for the future? Are you going skiing? Because I think today there's somebody calling you to Prague. You know what I mean. I don't know what your Prague is, but I know there's one that exists for you. Hey, there's time for skiing. You know what I'm saying. There's time to put you first. There'll be time for that. But friend, with a world to win and a Savior who is waiting, and the signs all telling us that Jesus is coming back soon, what's really most important today? You can make a difference. And God wants to make a difference through you. Think, one man, 669 children saved. Oh, and then their influence. You, one person. How many people saved for eternity? And then how many others through their influence? Seeds sown here and there. Books and glow tracts and Bible studies and conversations and sermons and outreach events and personal ministry and witnessing to your neighbors. Just your life. You heard the term used by Michael in the video earlier, evangeliving. Not something you do because it's Wednesday afternoon, but something you do because you're alive. Think of the little children, friends. Those 669 kids, the 669 in your life. God's wanting you to make a difference. Just to tell them, I'm available, Lord. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Don't make a promise. Don't do that. I don't mean that. I'm not trying to manipulate you into thinking that, oh, you better go do this or that. What I would like for you to do is to understand that today the Bible is calling you. God is calling you. Yes, even you. And that through you, God can make a saving difference in the lives of hundreds or thousands or who knows how many. What did Jesus save himself? The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. What are you here for? To be ministered to? No. To minister. I wonder if today as we pray, you would be willing to tell Jesus that you are available to him to minister through. Now you may have some excuses. I'm too old, I'm too young. My English isn't good enough. My Spanish isn't good enough. I haven't finished my education. I, whatever. That's fine. Tell it to Jesus. He's not worried about any of that. He's made you as you are so he can use you as you are. 
And he'll refine you and fashion you and hone you as he sees fit. Now, keep that thought right there. And let me say this. I'm talking today about reaching people who don't know Jesus. But I realize that in a room this size, is bound to be people who themselves don't know Jesus. And if you're worried about sharing something you don't have or sharing someone you don't know, I would like you to do something about that today. If you came here today and you said, I'm not in the right place with Jesus. If you came here today and you said, uh, my heart isn't how it ought to be. If you came here and said, I've not been baptized. My life isn't given to Jesus. Then the Jesus who is waiting to save the world wants to save your world and wants your heart to be connected to his. We're gonna to pray together. And as we pray, Christ will speak to your heart and you'll know what to do. Come on, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we bow our heads and close our eyes today, we have encountered a very sobering passage of scripture. Hezekiah didn't want to die. You gave him 15 extra years and the result was disaster. Those years were not lived for your glory. You've given us today extra years. And today we want to tell you, we don't want to make that mistake. We might, some of us, know what you've called us to. And certainly there are many here who are active. But for a lot of us here today, we're not sure. We are uncertain. We don't know what you've called us to. And we haven't responded to that call. We've never said yes to you. Today, Father in heaven, my prayer is that that will be different. That we'll all go from here knowing that you've called us and having had the opportunity to respond to that call. Now, friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Please keep it that way. I want to make an appeal here that's very personal. I could ask you to come forward to the front if you want to be involved in ministry and then... Everyone would come because nobody wants to sit there and be the one who has just told Jesus, I don't want to work for you. So I'm not going to do that. I want this to be private and personal. Christ is calling you. Be assured of that. We don't have to wonder, is Jesus calling me? He is. Now what he's calling you to, he can make that known to you. It's not my job to presume to understand that but he's calling you. Will you accept the call to work in ministry, to work with Jesus, to share your faith, to witness somehow, to share Jesus with others? Will you accept Christ's call to share him with others? If you will, just raise your hand, please. No one's watching. No one's watching. Can you raise your hand? Jesus is calling you to work for him. Can you say today, I'll work. You don't know how, but Lord, I'm willing to go. You've got my heart. You've got my permission. Something's going to happen in your life, friend, today, tomorrow, next week, in a month. Something's going to be burning in your heart. And next year, the dam will burst and ministry opportunities will open up to you and you will know this is it. The Spirit of God is working in your life right now and wants to use you like never before in service. 
not a life lived just for you. What can I get? A life lived for others. How can I share Jesus with somebody today? You've made your decision. Your hand is up. Thank God. Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are closed. Now I want to extend this. Please, let's be quick about this. I sense that there are some in this place today you've never given your heart to Jesus fully. You've not been baptized. You've not made a decision to accept Jesus truly as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, Jesus, I accept you now. And now you'd like to. With the heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Now you, I'd like you to open your eyes. You ought to see the way here. The rest of us are praying, but as God is speaking to you today, I'm inviting you to come and bring your life to Jesus. You've never had a better opportunity than right now. Remember, we are praying, friends, praying. You can lower your hand if you want to. God is looking today for you to bring your heart to Him. Don't wait. Have you never been baptized? Make a decision to go into that watery grave and come up walking in newness of life. Come now, come now. Have you never truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Make the decision to do so now. Come now. We don't want to make this uh, take any longer than possible. God bless you as you come, and many are coming. Remember, the rest of us, we're praying. We're praying. We are praying that God would move in hearts. God bless you. There are more. Do come. Don't wait. If you've, listen, if things are okay with you and Jesus, but you had a rough morning this morning, just stay where you are. Pray. But if you know there is a great gulf between your heart and the heart of Christ, you want that gulf removed, come. If you've not been baptized, come. If you've never said, Jesus, have all of my life, say so now. Many are coming from all over the place. We'll wait for you to come from the back. There's time. There's time. But come now. Don't wait. God bless you. God bless you. This morning, you know, Jesus is speaking. He's saying it's time for you. Have you just been playing games? Have you just been doing church without ever having said, Jesus, take my life? You know what I hear frequently? I'll be at a camp meeting. Someone will say to me, I had been a Christian all my life. Wait, I'd been an Adventist all my life. But I finally realized I'd never been a Christian. Why wait until you are gray-haired? To do something about that. Do something now. You've got most of you. The likelihood is you have got your whole life ahead of you. And you can build your life on the foundation that is Jesus. I'm going to wait a moment longer because I know what happens. I haven't even asked you to stand. It's easier when I do that. But I didn't today. I'm asking you to make a stand. Christ is inviting you to come. Right now what happens is the devil glues you to your chair. You think, I want, I, I want to go. I w-. That's the devil. But Jesus is calling you. Will you come today and say, Jesus, I accept you fully. Perhaps I want to be baptized. If you've been baptized but your life has been lived far from Christ, bring your life to Jesus now and say, Lord, here I am. Do in me what I cannot do myself and you will discover that God will work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure can you give God a chance today I'm wanting to pray but others are coming and so I know that there's still one more two more 
I'd wait all day if I, if I, if I knew it was going to make the difference in your life. Can you come now without pausing, without hesitating, without waiting? And should I begin to pray and God is calling you, come during the prayer. That's okay. Don't wait. If you can take a good honest look within your heart today and you know that things aren't right with you and God and you haven't made an honest surrender, you can make it now. And you can go from this auditorium knowing I have yielded my heart to Christ. I have invited him to take control and to make me his. You can say, I am his. Salvation is mine. Let's pray again. Our Father and our God. Today we thank you. We thank you that you have called all of us to be involved with you in ministry somehow. We'll look back on our lives one day and we will see opportunities lost, moments wasted. But Father, in spite of that, let the overall trend of our life be that we've given our life to Jesus, that we've worked with Him and we've walked through open doors and we've reached out to people in His name and we've encouraged others to know Him. Let that be our experience. And then, Lord, we've heard you call to us about our own personal salvation. I pray for these who've responded. Lord, they've come for various reasons. Some, they know they need to be baptized because they've held off. They've been holding back. They've never truly surrendered. Others, there are personal issues known best to you. There is a need in the heart of everyone who has come forward and everyone who has not. A need that can only be met by Jesus. Lord, meet that need. We choose to go from here believing that we are yours. That Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That Christ's arms are around us. That our names are written in the book of life. We'll believe that now. And we thank you that soon Jesus will come back. And soon we will all say, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. Keep us now, Lord, we pray, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, please say with me, amen and amen. If you've come forward, we would like you, please, don't run back to your seat yet. Pastor Allen would like you to just take a moment with him. Can you do that, please? Nothing bad will happen, we promise you. Please go that way because what we want to do is where necessary and where appropriate, find out your spiritual or your personal burden today and then see to it that you are ministered to. So can you do that? And thank you, Pastor Kyle, for what you're doing. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.